and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan. And I'm Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and with us today uh, for a special episode is Adam Vass of World Champ Game Co. How are you doing this morning, Adam? I'm doing great. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Great. Um, great and, uh, Can people hear me this time? Yeah, can we? <laughs> we should, before we go Hopefully too far. Hopefully we have audio. Uh, we can only ask those in chat. Um, special episode today. Adam is here. What are you, what are we, what are we talking about today? What is, what is going on with the special morning episode? We're talking about my newest game, 1978, The Night They Came Home. This is a competitive two-player role-playing game of slasher horror. Um, one player plays a supernatural killer, the other a resilient survivor, and you end up in the same sort of predestined location and do this sort of cat and mouse struggle of survival cat and mouse against one another um obviously harkens back to horror films of the 70s and 80s specifically slasher movies like halloween uh friday the 13th nightmare on elm street that sort of stuff nice so it's an interesting needle to thread of a competitive storytelling game um and also cool to do something um two-player which is not something that i do often or is like specifically made as often as group games so um a nice little duet experience yeah i think i have uh maybe a couple of uh two-player games but i have way more group and one-player games so like this is a really cool one uh my girlfriend and i were talking about this i'm really excited to try it out um also shout out jamie lee curvis um you know Best final girl. Big shout out. So the go. play is divided up into sections, right? It's like a day cycle and like a night cycle. Right. So actually the entire game is, or this entire story takes place on Halloween. Uh, so you start, you, you make characters. Obviously you are creating your own mythology. So you make a horror, you make the horrible force and you make the, the person who's going to outlast that force. And then we enter the day phase. So we're exploring the town. We're meeting all of the characters. We're getting these sort of uh, Chekhov's guns that are the items and weapons and stuff that we're going to see used in the later parts of the game are introduced. Um, and this is done by drafting poker cards. So there's this sort of meta element of players see all the cards that are getting used. Um, it's sort of, you know, like planting the narrative seeds so you know later on like this could come up and you should be somewhat more prepared to utilize it. Um, in the same way that like when you're an audience member of a movie and you see uh, a, a shotgun above the fireplace, like, you know, in the third act, <laughs> someone's probably going to fire that gun, right? Um, Absolutely. So we get these seeds planting in the in the day phase. We have a sundown moment where both of the players enter the, the house, this faded location and then the night phase is in this restricted location where we're playing the cards that we drafted in the day phase and using these characters and items and locations to prompt moments of the sort of battle between these two characters and uh you face off until someone loses or until time runs out we have a sort of third crack that exists outside of the characters that is fate itself and uh 
as these resources fluctuate and as you play cards, you just sort of are going toe-to-toe with your rival until the night ends. Very cool. Yeah, very interesting. So this is... This is slasher movies, which there aren't a ton of slasher role-playing games. And you said you haven't really done a whole lot of two-player games. What was the impetus for this game in general? Like, what made you Um, want to do a two-player slasher game? Yeah, so there's... I'm obviously a big horror fan. There's, I would say, probably a majority of my catalog, without counting or actually looking it up, um, are horror-adjacent games. So that's always been a, a, a niche for me and something of interest. And specifically with slasher horror, um, there's this interesting build, I guess, in the movies that um, you have a troop of, I guess, normal characters, um, humans, right? And you're whittling them down to the final girl. And then you also have the killer who, um, especially in like later, like 90s slashers and stuff with stuff things like scream like is often not a supernatural thing yeah um, is more closely tied to the actual character and every other character besides the the final girl and the killer are kind of disposable and i think by boiling that down and realizing that that's where a lot of the horror comes from is this isolation and this sort of um loneliness that comes with being a sole survivor uh makes it not quite obvious, but like interesting to consider this a two-player game and consider all the other characters that die sort of NPCs or story beats rather than pivotal people who influence the story. So that was one of the major inspirations was just like diluting the slasher down to its core characters, which are just the final girl and the killer. Um, The other was that uh, Bloomhouse had announced that they were starting a games division uh, specifically for video games, I think. And I don't know if they've actually announced any titles, but uh, Logan Dean, who worked with me on this project, uh, and I were on Twitter joking about how Bloomhouse did those Halloween uh, pre-boots or the new new trilogy and uh, started tagging Bloomhouse to let us do the Halloween RPG. And I said snarkily like i could make the the laurie strode rpg and logan could make the michael myers one and then we just went (laughs) to the dms and we're like this is actually a good idea there's actually a lot of inspiration and and yeah interesting stuff here so that became this game um to play as both of these characters at the same time or either one of them in like a automated sort of solo mode against the uh the the other and have that Halloween experience with the serial numbers filed off. It is funny that like talking about it, you are like, oh yeah, like in the slasher movies, the other characters are just NPCs. Like really, like the core of the you're right, is just like it's just the final person, like the final girl, um, and the killer. And uh yeah, that's that's they're kind of cannon fodder, right? Like yeah, they really, are, they really are. They can't matter at all. They affect nothing in almost any way. Um, they're used to, to show the power of the killer, typically. Yeah, <laughs> um, and to and to terrify the survivor. Like the, um, a thing that's in, sort of interesting too is by the nature of final girl, like you live, right? The final girl doesn't die. She's just 
traumatized from this experience. So right. these other deaths of her friends and family and people around her are only really used as like torment and not actually to physically harm her. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we use these tropes and um, this language because we're familiar with horror, but um, it's worth noting too that in the, like the game is not uh, relegated to the survivor being a girl, the killer being a, a man. Um, we use the night they came home as this, because the original Halloween is the night he came home referencing Michael Myers coming back to this place where he did his first murder and um, it's of mm. significance. Um, so we change it to the night they came home to sort of subvert this gender expectation, but also it is the night that both of these characters are entering this home for whatever reason, it has this like predestiny to it. And, and again, this meta way, it's the night that both of our players are entering this house that you see behind Hunter. That's the playmat that we play on the sort of immersive visual that we're playing the game in and around while we are playing and telling our story. So it's the night everybody came home. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we use, you said we use cards in order to do that. I mean, we, Hunter and I both actually got a chance to read through it and the, it's fantastic. I can't wait to actually see what happens at the end, but like, so we talked about the phases of the play a little bit and what actually does, but like, do you want to talk a little bit more about like what like actually happens in the day phase, like and how the cards specifically are used in order to do that? Yeah, let's uh, I'm going to actually pull the rules up in this other tab here. You don't have to, but you can if you want to, if you have it around, but they're up. Um, <laughs> yep. and, I already got them. <laughs> uh, so if you want, we can just do like, maybe a chunk of each phase like um i had just done on twitter this week we had made a killer using the twitter polls and the options of the twitter poll were just cards drawn from the card spreadsheet the lexicon that is the game that you play with so i have my little um sketchy little playtest deck here where i just wrote on these kermy cards with sharpie um perfect and i can pull these out but so um Basically, in the character creation phase, you're dealt a handful of cards. Um, both each player is, and you assign the cards to aspects of the character. Um, we have yourself, your look, uh, your strength and weakness, and your relationship to the house, which also sometimes is your relationship to the other player. Um, and you you have a handful of cards and you're assigning them one by one to these things. Uh, some are more obvious, but there's also that sort of interpretive sort of tarot style nature to these of saying like one of the cards I just drew was a leak in the basement. Um, and how does that like what category can I assign that to uh, to and, and have to interpret and make something uh compelling and tied to reality in some way, uh, inspired by the basement leak for one of these characters. So um, it's not always, others are much more obvious. Like I also drew a card that says wood ax. So <laughs> right. um, the, the easiest choice would be for that to be the killer's weapon of choice. 
Um, but I also really like maybe subverting that expectation and using wood axe as maybe the sense of self we have maybe the the final the survivor we use this for their self they are like a rural like farm living person they don't go to school they sort of just help their family they're maybe um unex they're they're sort of expected to exist outside of society's um expectation for a teenager right they they have to care for their family they're out there cutting wood for their their fireplace they're doing what they can but they have less of a formal education they have less sort of hope in that way of escaping the town they're just going to be here forever and we can oh, interpret really these cards horrifying. and assign them and have you know our survivor be this sort of stuck in a in a town that they maybe don't love but this is the circumstance that they have um, yeah an outsider in the town stuck in the town right <laughs> um the town maybe doesn't respect them and doesn't necessarily give them their due so like that was just one card and one question that right. we could get this spark and get moving with character creation which is cool because every time you play you're creating your own mythology for both the slasher and the survivor um like personally i don't know a slasher movie off the top of my head where the survivor is this like not a picture perfect teenager right like right having someone in this circumstance is already an interesting different kind of take um in addition to making our characters our like main uh, slasher and survivor um each player also makes uh the face card characters so the kings and the queens in our card deck are characters that exist outside of ourselves but are tied to us um the queen is someone that the survivor sort of controls and is someone that that character cares about um that is going to sort of get pulled into this funnel that is our night of death um so in this example where we have someone who exists outside of town and, and is um, sort of a lone wolf, the person that they care about could be, so I drew uh, the six of diamonds, which is teenage pranks. So maybe this is like a friend of theirs from before they had to drop out of school, who is sort of that star child who does well on tests and everyone has higher expectations of when they were growing up, they were best friends, and now they're like a little bit estranged. But this one friend is still this person's lifeline into the culture and the and the aspect of the town. Um, now, later on in the game, in the night phase, every time we draw a queen, um, that character does something. There's these tracks, almost like clocks in a forest right. in the dark, where where they're progressing towards what is ultimately going to be their demise. But they're bringing these other characters in towards the terror um not necessarily because they want to but because like that character says oh you're in trouble i'm gonna come find you um this is also a fun trope that's in a lot of horror movies of like you know you're trying to protect someone and they just can't be left alone and they end up putting themselves in danger for you anyways yeah um oh, conversely funny. 
this slasher is in charge of the king cards, which is someone who's in pursuit of the slasher themselves. Yeah, it's like an this old was, bald man, like a trench coat, and like exactly the <laughs> the Doctor Loomis in yeah. in the Halloween movies. Um, this would also be you know like the parents in uh Nightmare on Elm Street who know right. of Freddy Krueger and like tried to take care of the situation. Um, this is someone who knows more than the teenage victims of the kills tend to know. Um. And on a similar track, they're coming towards, they're looking for the slasher. They find where they are. They, they're they putting themselves in danger. Um, so the face cards are created during character creation. You learn who they are. And then over the course of their story, they're getting pulled into this gravity that is the house and that is effectively killing. I really like the character tracks and I like, I like the three. I like, I think they're all three, like the Jacqueline King are like really good, like interesting, but like a fun way to use trope. Like I really do like the, the Jack as the town as the collective, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah town starts out, you know, they're just having their celebrating Halloween and kind of gets all the way to the end where it's like, you know, it could be like pitchforks and torches and, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that you have that even in horror movies going back as far as like Frankenstein, right? Like yeah. the town being afraid of and reacting to the news of this monster, air quotes in Frankenstein. But um, you also have it in Halloween where like, um, especially in the in the reboot trilogy where you have that scene of like all the firefighters coming and Michael Myers just massacring a group of firefighters. Um, you have that exists to show more more than it does characterize the people of the town which it does right. do to some extent yeah it it really makes the killer scary and makes yeah. them powerful and shows their display of terror and on some level that's the goal here right to make the killer something that you don't want to mess with but you have to be by the nature of what is going on where you are and who you are like this is just your destiny whether you like it or not very um, cool I, I go ahead ryan oh no i'm just i'm just listening to this like this is such a fun game to read and like it's also feels so like world champ like it's just very emergent you know like everything like exists like from like playing the game and putting it together and and the whole idea of like every time you pick it up building your own mythology having a new killer having a new survivor and everything every time you do it is so much fun and using the the card deck is almost like an oracle deck um is such a, a fun way to go about making sure that every time you pick it up like things are completely different and you can have a new experience every single time. So it's just, it's really cool to have read a lot of the, the stuff here, but then also hear the explanation from, from you about um, how best to interpret it and, and, and whatnot. It's just, you know, it's why we love world champ game go. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you both know, but one of my favorite things is the sort of Rorschach test of a storytelling game and just saying, here's an ink blot and what you make sense you yeah. make sense of it and then we're going to roll with that like that is the sort of yes and of improv but it's in a meta way uh my role as the game designer is to make the ink blots and not tell you what to do with them yeah um, this game 
I, I would say more than a lot of my games, truthfully, has more structure. And that is by design because not only is this emulating a very particular style of story, um, but also this game is meant for people who are maybe like story curious, role-playing curious. Yeah. Um, it, it feels in play more like a board game, more like a strategy game. You don't have character sheets. You don't have D20s. Like um, it's meant to be a sort of bridge from people who want to role play and storytell people who have the affinity for horror stories and horror movies um, who maybe have, you know, a couple board games in their collection and have never played a role playing game. Um, this game is less about overcoming challenge because so much of the theme of this is predestiny and um, in a metatextual way, like, playing the hand that you're dealt um that is a lot of the circumstance of a horror game and we were talking before stream two of like the lack of control that is what is scary for a lot of these characters in horror movies um this game plays with that on purpose by giving you in the day phase a, your drafting cards which we're about to talk about that. Um, and it gives you almost this false sense of security of saying like, I know I'm going to pick this and this and this, and I'm going to use them in these ways later on. Um, but it in the night phase, that control slips away from you, even though you have seen all of the pieces in play, you still can't predict what is going to happen. And that is such a sort of textbook horror experience um both of viewers in the audience and characters in these movies is i know what's going to happen and i am prepared and then it turns out that you're not <laughs> uh so we'll move on to the day phase once we have our characters and stuff um we are exploring the town we're introducing these elements and uh we're just sort of seeing through the eyes of each of these characters. Um, there's a couple interesting and important notes in the day, like neither player can enter the house. Um, that is, again, sort of making this thing that exists that we're both aware of as players and probably as characters that feels foreboding and is going to like create tension and build as we go to enter it later on. Um, but it, a, a day phase turn looks like this. You draw three cards, and uh, I drew the Ace of Spades, the Six of Clubs, and the Four of Diamonds, which are Fire, Closet, and Witch's Potion, respectively. Um, the Survivor always goes first in the day phase because this is sort of their time to thrive, I guess. Um, and you pick one of these three cards to frame a scene using the three moves that you have available, which is live, which is sort of like so self-centered scenes, um, socialize, which involves other characters, and worry, which is sort of involving the town itself and looking around and generally affects the other player character. Um, so in doing this, I'm choosing one of these cards, and the other two are going to go in the fate deck, which is the cards that were sort of combating later on in the night phase um 
generally speaking, you want higher card values in your hand and lower card values in the fate deck. But if you take too many high cards and the fate deck is low, that also means your opponent is going to succeed all the time. So there ends up being this sort of strategic aspect of which uh. card do I want? Do I want to take a six maybe and risk it and know that my opponent has going to have a less easy time? Um, in addition to this, each of the moves also has a mechanical output. So you do you choose a card, you do a scene, but also they affect uh, resources. So the survivor is collecting resilience and the slasher is collecting fear. And we use those resources mm. sort of as an ability to bump card values, but also as sort of our health track or our, our track of success. So in the nighttime, our goal is to deplete our opponent's resource track. And in the day, it's to acquire those. Um, so just as a quick example, um, rolling with the survivor that we have, this sort of outlier, uh, I'm going to use this Ace of Spades, the fire card, and do a live scene where um, we have, maybe it's like the morning of Halloween, and this... I, I think uh, this is a male. I'm going to go with a he, him character. The sort of lumberjack visual is kind of... Our woodsman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's woken up by the smell of smoke and like goes into the quick panic, like going from slumber to fully wide-eyed. Smoke is kind of billowing. I don't think they have a smoke detector in the house, so it's just by smell, and he starts to panic and uh, runs downstairs and instead of there being a threat or a fire, we see maybe uh, his little sister is trying to cook breakfast on her own and is burning some toast. Uh, the live scenes are these portrayals of your everyday life and how they relate to your sense of self. So immediately in the scene, we see this character's sense of responsibility, um, their sort of quickness to run into what might be danger. Um, and we see a relationship built to another character being the sister uh, who I'm thinking is, you know, like nine or 10 and uh, wants to fend for herself, but isn't quite old and responsible enough to do that yet. So we learn quite a bit about our survivor in just this like 10 second scene. Um, a thing that I think is novel about this game, too, is it doesn't rely on dialogue as much as a lot of role playing games. It's more about setting scenes and framing and uh, you're more of like a director. So yeah. I find it a lot more comfortable for people who are less experienced with role playing and less like, you know, I mentioned a lot, this game sings with people who like horror movies. Um, it doesn't require you to also be an improvisational actor. Um, and the dialogue in horror movies usually sucks anyway. It's not exactly yeah, the highlight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it definitely gives me like um, um, when I was reading through, first of all, I love there's a little bit of like a deck building aspect of the game yeah. just in general. Um, but using like the Oracle decks to create scenes and then using those cards to then do the deck building is really fun. But it also has like a hint of like microscope in it. I don't know if you've played microscope, but it's all about yes. like like setting it's more about setting scenes really than about like specifically until you get to like the very tiny like smallest increment of a scene um it's really about just like assigning roles and doing all this kind of stuff so there's some hints of that in it that that are that are really interesting i i think that's by 
by design too, as well as how these movies tend to work is thinking of the sort of like overhead and drone shots of the daytime. They feel almost like a false sense of comfort, a sense of security. And then as we go into the house and things start to get more claustrophobic and you're, um, this is a weird comparison, but it's like the map in Fortnite, right? Like you, you <laughs> land and you have all the freedom and you can do whatever you want. And every time that ring gets a little bit smaller and the players get pushed together, that's when you're going to get conflict. Right. And the tension builds. Exactly. And that is the design of the house. That is the night phase. So um, we can fast forward uh, to the night phase. Basically, in between then and now, we're going to do a few scenes. The fate track is going to move, which again is the sort of third track that neither character is in charge of. It's just time itself that's pushing us forward. Um, and when that track fills up to six, we enter the house and we are in the night phase. This is again the confrontation. This is when we're fighting effectively. Um, the house behind Hunter, this illustration, is the playmat that we play on. And each of those windows is the location. So we have six rooms of the house that we're playing in. Um, so whereas the day is much more freeform and you have the whole town, the night is uh, claustrophobic and you have fewer options. And those options even dwindle as you play and those locations run out of cards on them. Uh, it's going to force you to interact in much more aggressive and direct ways, both both players. Um, so, you know, we didn't we didn't create a slasher in this instance because we're just kind of breezing through. Right. So I'm just going to do another scene, though, of like the uh, survivor. And the other novel part of the night is we're no longer drawing new cards. We're using the cards that we have used the entire game. So these are elements we've already seen that we've already built on and we're returning to them but you can interpret them in new ways and they can be used as creatively as you can come up with. Um, so in this instance, each player also still has three moves. They are new moves um, between night and day. These still have a sort of self social and uh, rival kind of structure to them. Uh, so it, let's say I'm going to fight back. I'm the survivor. I'm going to fight back against the slasher. Who's in, we're both in the house. We've been going at it. And I can use, once again, that teenage pranks card, that six of diamonds that I drafted right. earlier and say, you know, like this house, um, like I had some firecrackers or something like it's Halloween. So we were, yeah. even though I have we'll all these responsibilities. Like a, a home alone situation on this guy. Yeah. You know? So I'm going to, try to use these little firecrackers to distract the killer and maybe attack from behind. Um, in doing so, I'm going to place this card on a location. Let's say it's in the foyer. I want him to like, uh, I'm going to throw the firecrackers up the staircase. So he's looking up and I can kind of get behind him. Uh, so I'm going to place the six of diamonds on the foyer deck. And then my opponent is going to reveal a face down card from that location. Uh, if my six beats it, then I can do my attack. If, and by beats it, I mean it's higher than. Um, if the card that's revealed is like a nine, 
then my attack doesn't work. Um, so you're gambling these resources and the cards that you have to try to make progress against the other and deplete their resources. Um, so I just drew a four of hearts as my sort of rival card, the nosy neighbor. Um, you don't necessarily, you don't need to use the prompts in this way. Um, like it's not like the neighbor interferes and causes me something. Um, these are just sort of numerical challenges. So in this instance, my attack works. The killer goes towards the sound and I'm able to like grab at their ankles or their knees and kind of trip them up down the stairs and they sort of fall face first and slide down the staircase while I'm grappling their ankles. Um, this would allow me to reduce their resource by one. And I'm also pushing the fate up by one. The more we interact directly, the more close we are to the end of the story and the end of the night. So um, players take turns in this way, doing not just attacks, but, you know, like ways of interacting and they're running around the house and trying to predict what the other one is going to do and what will best suit their resources and their abilities. Um, and you play until one player is completely out of resource or until fate reaches 13. Uh, and either instance then brings about the epilogue, the end of the story where you're using any remaining cards in your hand to give these sort of brief glimpses of the fallout of your story. Um, very cool. I mentioned earlier in the day that the characters can't go into the house, um, in the night phase, neither character can die, uh, which is also, again, like playing with these horror tropes. Of right. The final girl doesn't die. That's kind of the whole nature of the thing. That's why her her role in this game is the survivor. It's she's going to survive, but she will be irrevocably changed forever. Um, in that same way, the killer can't die because in the example of Halloween, like Michael Myers is yeah, something we need more than human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is actually like that consideration too, is that you could play this, you could skip character creation and play a sequel to your favorite slasher and just do the day and night again with these same characters. Oh, I would. Next day or that's six exactly what I'm going to do. I'm a hundred percent going to make a character and be like, this, we're going to play several different episodes yep. of like the return of the, the, 31st slasher you know yeah <laughs> part of the fun and charm too of calling this 1978 is the idea of like maybe making a game in the future that's 1998 or like <laughs> 2018 like doing these legacy sequels and these reboots and reinventing our characters and how they interact with one another um it's a door left open i don't necessarily have any yeah uh, intention there but i think it might be really fun awesome so you you often with a lot of your projects you work you do a lot of it your yourself you know i know you that um you know with the brain trust and everything and, and with your editors um there's some stuff but is it the first time you've worked with logan dean and um how how does it work like collaborating with somebody on a, on a big project like this um yeah this is my first time working with logan who's been really awesome and helpful um uh, this game design was still very much my work. Um, and Logan has worked as a sort of sounding board and, um, you know, like 
reeling me in sometimes. Um, it helps because I mean, a lot of the time you both know that I can be very prolific, but I can be kind of, uh, hard to keep on track, I guess. Um, <laughs> I have, there's a lot of ideas that go into these games. Right. And sometimes I just need somebody to tell me like, maybe skip this one or maybe double down on this one. Um, so Logan has been really helpful in that regard. Um, and Logan is also doing a bit more writing uh, than design. I guess, you know, this is sort of a blurry line in what we do, but making sure that the rule books are flavorful and immersive and like evoke the character because each player gets their own rule book and they're slightly different. We want to make sure that each one feels tonally appropriate for the role that you're playing and immerses you in the way that you should be. Um, it's sort of a fine line again, because like so much of role-playing is being the director and the audience and the characters that we really want you to feel during play like the characters and think like them. And that's why we have separate rule books with different language. That's why we have the house play mat. Like we want you to feel like you're in it um, and keeping that on the ground sort of language and using play examples and card tables and stuff that are evocative for your chosen character is an important aspect of what's going on here. So um, Logan's coming in with that more of that like post design writing to make sure that that is correct. And Logan is a very good evocative, especially with like horror and weird stuff, um, yeah. a good writer. So that collaboration is working really nicely and still allows me to do the kind of freak shit that I like to do. Um, <laughs> Logan makes makes weird games too, so we got oh, yeah. on really well with that right away. But every time we have a meeting, we talk for like 20 minutes first about all the movies that we've seen since the last time we called. And it's just like nice. very helpful to stay in theme as designers too, like to just be these weirdo horror heads and making the things that we love. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine in the process of of making this, you've really been uh, re-upping on all the classic slashers. Do you have yeah. a favorite like classic slasher film? So, I grew up where my favorite slasher was Friday the Thirteenth, or like I guess the series. Um, Jason was my favorite, even though you know the discrepancies of him not being the slasher in Friday the Thirteenth Part One. Right. Um. One of my favorites among many is Friday the 13th part three, which is in 3d in that like red and blue 3d. <laughs> that's really just fun. You know, like, yeah, that's one of the weird things of slasher movies is like the original movie usually has a very scary and very like serious concept. And then they immediately jump the shark into crazy shit. <laughs> and like, that's when you have Jason like picking up a sleeping bag and hitting it against the wall until the person inside is like pulpified. Um, I got to see Friday the 13th part three in 3d in Boston at a movie theater on the original film reel. And Oh, cool. Before the movie, they, the, the theater had like juggling contest. And like, if you won the juggling contest, you got tickets to a future screening of whatever. Um, because at one point in the movie, in that sort of typical 3d cheesiness, there's a bird's eye camera of one of the characters juggling and so you and the audience are just seeing these tennis balls like come <laughs> at you in 3d and it's so corny and silly and uh i really like that aspect of a lot of slashers 
Um, it's such a marvel of technology. I can't believe we still don't do that. <laughs> that was especially funny too, because it was on film, like it was an original reel. Yeah. And as the movie went on, because this is aged so poorly, the red and blue had started to like part away. So by the third act, it was just kind of blurry and not really in 3D anymore. Uh, That's so funny. It, it was just fun. Like who That's cares? Wild. So you're, so wow. you're saying Jason X is not your favorite. Uh, <laughs> Jason All <of> the, Space. <laughs> yeah, when you start to get into space, I usually <laughs> tap out. But, um... <laughs> I love how many horror, <laughs> horror, horror movies do that. They're like, okay, we're like 10 movies in now or whatever. We're like eight movies in. Where is he going now? It's like, oh, the, the space in the future. There's no like, oh, left perfect. on Earth. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think, doesn't Leprechaun do that as well? Dude. I would not be surprised. I just saw this week that they're rebooting yeah. a, a Leprechaun reboot 4. Of Leprechaun. Wait, they're doing what? They're rebooting Leprechaun and making like a modern version oh, of Oh, they it don't again. need to do that. They don't need to do that. It's perfect the <laughs> way it is. To do anything, really. I mean, nothing is original in Hollywood anymore, and it's all reboots. But, I mean, you know, more power to them. I guess it'll sell a little bit, maybe. I was not a fan of Leprechaun, I'll be honest. Little thing fucked, it freaked me the fuck out. Usually <laughs> yeah. things they don't, but I was not a fan of that one. Um, on top of working with Logan Dean, though, you're working with Justin Valier. A lot of times you do your own art, which is fantastic. But yeah. um, what made you want to work with Justin besides the fact that their stuff is freaky and horror-filled and awesome? This was sort of in the beginning sketches of do we make a Halloween game? I immediately knew that Justin needed to do the art for it, that there was really no other person that I would want doing specifically this, including myself. Um, like you mentioned, I do most of the art for my own games, but this is an art style that I think is not in my wheelhouse. And I think um, it's good to acknowledge that once in a while, you know, and and not try to fit a square peg in a round hole, but also... Justin is just so perfect at exactly this. And uh, this just like textury, gritty, creepy, killer stuff. Um, and the killer design that we have here too, um, rather than just being, you know, like an unlicensed Michael Myers, like has some unique traits and has design that Justin did on his own volition. Like we we're emailing back and forth and he was really interested in like this mythology aspect of the design and making something unique to us and something that we could revisit and adapt to stories. And uh, the first time I saw the sketch of this mask, I was like, yeah, this was it. Like this was always it. It's so weird and creepy. Um, and he's just been an absolute dream to work with. He shares the vision in a major way. Uh, he's also in a great screamo band called New Forms uh, that I didn't know going in, but we like have mutual friends in the music scene, and uh, we text fairly often now, just about like whatever. Um, he's one of us, you know, like, and it's so cool and oh, somewhat rare to find your people like that in these weird ways, right? Like uh, just hiring someone to do art for a game. And it turns out that we have like quite a lot more in common and that we're just like good friends now. So that's that really, really cool. an awesome experience. Yeah. And it, 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 their art's crazy. Um, yeah, I've been it's so on uh, blackcoffeen.com. Um, 
where you can go see awesome, awesome, very horror inspired, like poster art, very cool stuff. Yeah. Logan and I actually both have, um, t-shirts that he made from, I think you should leave sketches, uh, <laughs> and not knowing like one Logan and I didn't know that we had the same shirt. And then two <clears throat> didn't know that we were going to end up hiring the person who made those for this game. And it's just one of those cool, like small world kind of things that it all came together and, uh, we get to work together and it rules. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we talked about, um, the, the game, but there's the, let's talk about the contents of the game that people are actually going to get. Cause this is funny right now on Kickstarter. This game is in the process of, of, uh, it's past its goal, but we've talked about the play mat and the cards and stuff like that, but we actually get like a deck of cards with this that you have made, right. Or that is being made. Yeah. It's a, it's a deck of poker cards in a tuck box. Um, but they're like blackface cards, uh, with the suits are sort of redrawn with these sort of sketchy uh jack-o'-lantern faces within them um the cards have the prompts written on them sort of similar to how i have my little bootleg deck here um so you don't have to cross-reference the spreadsheet every time or it's not i'm looking at a spreadsheet it'll be in the rule book it's not a spreadsheet you know what i mean um, yeah. yeah so when you're familiar with the rules you can kind of just cruise and use the card deck but you also have those tables in the rule book to reference. Um, we also have the screen printed cloth play mat, which you guys know is my jam. I love the sort of ritual aspect of just playing on something and the immersive aspect of having this big thing that you're all playing around. Um, especially again with this like haunted house artwork, that's super evocative Um it will have the locations and the resource tracks printed on it as well that you can then use our little metal knife tokens to keep track of. Um, again, it's just like this. We want to be immersed. We want to feel like we're in this world and in this story. So we could just have a little bead track the number or whatever, but we had to get some knives in there. And it, you know, I've read an essay years ago about how Monopoly is not about buying property. It's about the feeling of holding paper money in your hand. Uh, I <laughs> wanted to bring that in here and say, like, both players deserve to hold a knife at some point in this game. There you go. Um, and as I mentioned, too, you also get two, two rule books. Each one is unique for each character. And it reduces the passing back and forth as you're referencing stuff but it also allows you to be immersed in your own role and have that language pertain to you specifically. Um, all of that, of course, in a custom like telescoping box, the poker cards are in their own little tuck box. Um, everything is ready to play out of the, out of the box, which was truthfully a tough consideration because I, I love doing a boxed game. I loved doing things like that. Yeah. They you just, do. You do love giving somebody something to open. Like I know. For sure. Thing for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this just cost a lot to make. So I was right. really actually worried, like, do we, is it better to assume that someone has a deck of poker cards and just sell these rule books? And um, I ended up just deciding like, what the, like, I don't care. Like I can make a zine every month, which I already do. And uh, we know <laughs> I want to make, <laughs> <We have them. laughs> I, I want to make something more bespoke and more complete and have it, be something in your hands that is 
entirely immersive. It is an experience in a box. And uh, I got to do that thanks to the Kickstarter and to the backers and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think Ryan and I earlier were talking about, because um, I the first thing when I saw that custom playing cards, I was like, oh, sick. I just honestly, like, I would back this just for the custom playing cards because um, they're cool. But we we're talking about, it's like, oh, it's a game that, like, requires playing cards that also provides you playing cards. And, like, because I definitely have several that, like, I bought or backed. And it's just like, yeah, hope you have a poker deck, um, right. which I, I had to buy for a different game. Um but I love how, and you already you kind of referenced it earlier. It's all like how pseudo board gamey um, this game is. Like I really genuinely like that. Like I, I I agree. I think sitting around to play that and like the ritual of playing together is like a really big part of it to being immersed in this experience. Um, yeah, and I'm stoked to get it. I often think about when I went to Big Bad Con <laughs> in 2019, and I loved it, and so much of the photos of the event afterwards were five people at a table holding a piece of loose leaf paper. And like, you don't know what game they're playing. There's nothing like visually stimulating about that. Right. And then I got to play Raph Damico's The Zone, which is like, actually like warped my mind. Such a good game that changed how I think about everything. But we played it in a hotel room with all the lights off with uh, green glow sticks on the table that was our only light source and cool. the glow sticks were like going in a spiral that was matching like how the story cards went and I was like oh this is immersion and this is table presence and those are things that often get neglected in role playing specifically but board games are always thinking about this yeah and I agree that's a really good point it's such an interesting thing to notice that like our streams don't cross as often as we like to think between board games and role-playing games or strategy games and um, war games and all these sort of like subgenres. Um, but there really is something to, like you said, just being at a table with art all around you that is evocative of the experience that you're having for the sake of you just getting your head into that zone. And that is an experience I want with all my games, but specifically with a horror game, I want you to feel in that space. Uh, and it will make play better. It will make your story better just by the virtue of like you feeling comfortable within that tone and that aesthetic. Mm, absolutely. You know, one thing you just said that I'm not going to tangent for an hour on, but you know, um, there's this weird i don't know kind of like vibe in the ttrpg space that we can't learn anything from similar industries that if you take something from board games or video games or something like that that it's not really tabletop and i don't understand that I, there's amazing parts from all of those things that can easily be ported into games i feel like you've done that a lot with a lot of your games especially like you said like the number of playbacks that I have from World Champ. I mean, you know, even even games that have come in boxes with tokens and cards and things like that. It, there, it's it's the immersion aspect of it, and and just having those physical bits and pieces and all the various mechanics that come with it are such an interesting part of the tabletop space. And then being able to use 
those kind of board gamey pieces but then add this emergent narrative on top and this you know layer of role playing is just again you know it's and we won't stop saying it. it's one of the reasons we love all of your stuff it's one of the reasons we're both you know patrons of your patreon it's one of the reasons you know i have like a whole stack of stuff from you um that still needs to go up on the shelf so it's it's great to see and it's awesome to see it in this project too where it's all it kind of feels like a lot of that has all really come together in this like beautiful um thing that we're that we're going to be getting um so yeah 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 totally it's always an important design thing too and thinking back to like making cobwebs um on a play mat that's round like i want it to feel spirally <laughs> i want it to feel hypnotizing or in cyber metal with the sort of uh software like i want it to feel like you're plugging in a cartridge like you would to a super nintendo like so much of the physical feeling of interacting with the game and how that mirrors both your character's experience and your ability to picture yourself within that setting. Um, I think those are really critical aspects of what I make and why some of it is more or less effective is that ability to get you out of your reality or blur that reality and get you into this world in the same way as a video game would want you to be focused on the world and like picture yourself in it and in your character's shoes and exploring and getting those feelings um, that you get from exploring while you're effectively staring at a screen. So yeah. um, I think video games do this in a much uh, smoother or more expected way. I think, again, like you mentioned, there's um, a lot of parallel industry stuff and, and parallel creativity that you can take and put into tabletop design for curating that unique experience and making it something that's immersive or emotional or whatever sort of uh, end result that you're trying to get out of your player. That comes from you curating an experience, and that experience is not just rules design. And I think that's where my philosophy lands is rule design is probably one third of what I am doing in terms of trying to get you into this world and to care about it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's world champ game co. I mean, that's exactly what, you know, what, what we love about uh, the things that you do. And it's, it's great to see, you know, these kind of projects and, and all these projects that come from you, um, Speaking of when we're going to get this project, um, Hunter asked a question that um, before we started streaming that uh, that was great and made me go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why are you doing a Halloween project in July um, or June <laughs> or whatever? Um, yeah. So when, when, when do we plan to actually get for, for all of us backers who uh, are going to get 1978? When are we actually going to get this in hand or what's the what's the plan goal? The, the plan is to have this in hand in October, which, of course, like it's a little it's proven a little hard to sell a Halloween game in June, but with the intent that this is actually a Halloween game that you're playing on Halloween, right? This is something that if we kickstarted it in October, you would get it next March or something. And, and then you'd have the opposite problem of like, well, I don't really want to play this because it's springtime. Um, right. <laughs> so this was all planned and built for, October delivery in the same way that we did campfire a couple of years ago. We wanted that in hand by Halloween. Like to do that, you have to just do end of spring, early summer pre-orders and then start getting the ball rolling on manufacturing and all that stuff that takes a long time um, to get it in hand for October. So 
we want people to play 1978 in October and play it when you're the most immersed in your horror traditions. Right. Um, so, you know, the ball's rolling already. I'm like in touch with the manufacturer every week and getting stuff tooled and made like we're starting the knife tooling now because it's a custom piece. So um, doing all that now so that we can speed things up along the way, have it made through summer, which is when a lot of other things are coming out. And uh, when fall hits, we'll have a fall game ready. Well, we're excited for it. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get this in hand. I mean, I I feel like maybe we should uh, have you back on uh, or 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 something when this drops, and we can we can chat about this once again. Um, but this project is funding right now on Kickstarter. Um, but like you do with a lot of your games, which I absolutely fucking love. I think I tweeted this to you um, a little bit ago. There's a website specifically for this game, um, which right. has been flashing above me. But what is that for the podcast people? It's 1978.games, 1978.games. Um, yeah, that takes you straight to the Kickstarter page. When the Kickstarter is over, it will take you straight to the pledge manager. And when the pledge manager is over, it will take you straight to my web store where the game will be available. So like that URL is an evergreen place to find this game. Um, nice. As you mentioned, that's a thing I like to do with a lot of my games now. Um one for the sake of saying it, right? Like people if people are listening to this on a podcast, it's a lot easier to remember that than kickstarter.com slash projects slash Adam Vass, whatever. Um yeah. and also it's just like a cool thing that is present. And I can change it, like I just said, to have it be a utility that I continue to use and uh changes based on what the game needs and what i want people to experience from that so um 1978.games is going to be the evergreen hub for this game fantastic and then and then where can people find the rest of your content because if you like 1978 you're definitely going to love the rest of it so um itch web store what's all that yeah i'm a world champ game co on itch and patreon where i make games pretty much every month um yeah all of my games are in print at worldchamp.io, where you can also sign up for my newsletter. There's also links to um, Itch and Patreon there. I have some new shirts that just came out. I have some new card packs that just came out. And uh, actually next week, uh, as the summer solstice hits, um, I'm going to drop a new game called Ritual, my my folk horror role-playing game. Uh, nice. Comes out next week for Midsummer. So Perfect um, timing. That will be hitting the Patreon first and then my web store um, like a week from today. I think the 21st is the summer solstice. Oh, oh, this, this, this new shirt. Oh, that that we got right so here. Yeah. yeah. This one right here. Yep. Definitely really had to get that those. one. Yeah. Th this one's, this one's great. It's, I think it's the only white shirt that I own, but uh, it's world champ. So <laughs> I had to own it. So yeah. Hey, listen, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, great to see you Always again. appreciate. You too. Yeah. Um, if you ever have anything coming out, hit us up, you know, maybe not, like the week before yeah. it's coming on. <laughs> and we, we'd love to do, you know, more with you uh, for anything that you have. But seriously, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I, As I mentioned, Ritual comes out next week. So maybe uh, we can play that sometime. And oh, it is a, yeah. multi a multiplayer game, too. I haven't I feel like I haven't done one of those in a minute. So 
uh cool the three the three of us could actually play together in that oh way, i would so. be super down for that Dude, yeah we would love that up, let us know hey you can expect that out there in podcast land so we would absolutely 100 for that but again thank you so much and thank you chat for listening this is the weekly scroll podcast you've seen our socials you know what they are uh you guys <laughs> all have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you all later bye bye, bye. bye.